we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. Well, let's open God's Word together and be finding, please, the Old Testament book of 2 Chronicles. You probably haven't been there in quite some time. Despite hearing about King Asa, we're in the Chronicles. I've really enjoyed studying these Bible characters, haven't you? It's been a wonderful summer. 2 Chronicles chapter 1, we'll begin our reading in verse 7. We've highlighted some of our personal favorites. I'm curious, do you have a favorite Bible character? You personally, do you have a favorite Bible character? I think it's a comfortable setting to do this in. On the count of three, we're family. Don't, don't be shy. Shout out loud to me on the count of three, your favorite Bible character. Would you do that for me? One, two, three. Well, I'm about to introduce you to mine. Now, favorite characters are oftentimes somebody we're just familiar with. When I was a kid, I always said, I heard it out loud, John the Baptist, just because I knew a few things about him. Sometimes favorite characters are somebody you're fond of. You're just fascinated by their lives. That's the case with me. And then other times, it's somebody that you favor, someone you act like. And as we've studied this summer on these Wednesday nights, and we've heard some marvelous preaching, I've been convinced that favorite characters ought to be somebody or someone who fortifies our faith. They challenge us. They strengthen us. We don't just act like these people. No, we're affected by their lives. That's why God records them in His Scripture for us. And as I began to study the life of Solomon, I came across some things I knew, and I came across some things that I didn't know. And the challenge tonight is to deliver a brief message about his life. So let me tell you something about Solomon. One man, Clarence McCartney, called him the wisest fool in all the world. It's a good title. I'm not going to copyright and steal it. He said he cast the longest shadow in all of Scripture. The Word of God tells us that he wrote 3,000 Proverbs, one and a half thousand songs, three of which are recorded in Scripture for us. He had constructed the golden temple for Jehovah God. And out of all these wonderful feats that Solomon's responsible for through the help of the Holy Spirit of God, we really only know two things to mark his life. Just two. He had a great start and a bad ending. And when I studied his life and began to draw application for myself personally, God led me to a parallel in history about Solomon's life. You might be familiar with this parallel. It was a ship. In 1912, she was the greatest and largest ship of her time. It cost nearly $7.5 million back then to make. That's about $180-something million today. And this ship was boasted about and bragged upon, and yet it set sail from Southampton, UK, all the way to NYC, and four days later, somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean, that ship struck an iceberg, and it sank. Now tell me, church, what's the name of that ship? It's the Titanic. It had a great start, but a bad ending. Just like Solomon, it started with glory and prestige and splendor, but ended in gloom, in shame, and in sadness. So with God's help, I'd like to preach about Solomon's life under this title, The Titanic of Scripture. 
the Titanic of Scripture. Would you bow your head and pray with me for just a moment? Our Heavenly Father, oh Lord, I'm a needy individual. I'm but a child. I cannot do what you've called me to do without you. I come here today not to prove anything. I just want to pass along the message you've given me. Would you please help me? I claim the filling of your spirit that you've promised to those that yield to you. Help us to receive your word and to respond accordingly. In Christ Jesus' beloved name we pray. Amen. Second Chronicles chapter 1. I'll be straight with you. My aim tonight is to keep someone from sinking. You know what I mean. If I could put my sermon in a sentence, it would be this. Get wisdom and guard your heart. That's pretty simple, isn't it? So let's start with the beginning portion of Solomon's life. We'll divide it into two portions, a great start and a bad ending. Let's look at this great start in 2 Chronicles chapter 1. I hope you're there. We'll begin reading at verse 7. The Word of God says this. You're familiar with it. In that night did God appear unto Solomon and said unto him, Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said unto God, Thou hast showed great mercy unto David my father, and hast made me to reign in his stead. Now, O Lord God, let thy promise unto David my father be established. For thou hast made me king over a people like the dust of the earth in multitude. Give me now wisdom and knowledge, that I may go out and come in before this people. For who can judge this thy people that is so great? And God said to Solomon, Because this was in thine heart, and thou hast not asked riches, wealth, or honor, nor the life of thine enemies, neither yet hast asked long life, but hast asked wisdom and knowledge for thyself, that thou mayest judge thy people, my people, over whom I have made thee king. Wisdom and knowledge is granted unto thee, and I will give thee riches and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings have had that have been before thee, Neither shall there any after thee have the like. Now, the Titanic was a marvelous structure. It took seven and a half million dollars in the day to build it. It was 900 feet long, nearly 175 feet high. 100,000 people gathered to watch it leave the port before it went over to Southampton. A marvelous structure. It had a great start. But can I tell you, the Titanic didn't have as good of a start as King Solomon did. King Solomon had such a great start, not because he had wealth, prestige, and honor. King Solomon had a great start because he sought after a great God. Many of us today are beginning something new. Perhaps you're entering into a new season and semester of school. Perhaps you've started something at your job. Perhaps there's a new addition to your family. I don't know what it is, but you want to have a great start, don't you? Well, let's begin it as Solomon did. He starts here, look at verse 7. In that night did God appear unto Solomon and said unto him, Ask what I shall give thee. <laughs> Can you imagine? He, Solomon's in his late teens. Some of these young people here are the same age. His late teens, maybe his early 20s. And God, the creator of the universe, gives him this privilege. He says, Ask a commandment what I shall give thee. He could have asked for anything in the world. What would you have asked for in your late teens? I have a fetish with vehicles. I probably, in my carnality, would ask for a new vehicle. Solomon could have asked for anything that he wanted, and yet he asked for the one thing he needed most. What was it that he asked for? Well, look down at verse 9. Now, O Lord God, let my promise, 
Thy promise, excuse me unto David my father, be established. For thou hast made me king over a people like the dust of the earth in multitude. Here's what he asked for, verse 10. Give me now what? Wisdom and knowledge, let's not forget it, that I may go out and come in before this people. For who can judge this thy people that is so great? Verse 10 tells us he asks for wisdom. He asks for understanding. What is wisdom? What is wisdom? Simply this, it's just discernment. It's judgment. It's the ability to know what's right. It's the ability to know what's best. It's knowing what God wants us to know. Knowing what God Himself knows. It's knowing the mind of God this type of wisdom is. And Solomon asked for it. He could have asked for anything in the world. And look at verse 9. He says, Now, O Lord God, let thy promise unto David my father be established. We understand that. Then he says, For thou hast made me king. Verse 10 says, give me now wisdom, but verse 9 tells us preceding that, for thou hast made me king. He asks for wisdom because this is for God's work. Understand this about wisdom. Wisdom is not for you to perform your will in this world. That's why so many of us don't ask for it. God's wisdom is strictly for God's work. And his wisdom was so great. Kings and rulers of the earth would just travel miles on end to come see him. You remember the Queen of Sheba, right? She's all the way down in Ethiopia, Africa. She travels 1,500-something miles up to Jerusalem. It would have taken years to build up a caravan and travel that type of desert storm. But she traveled it just to hear Jesus Christ tells us of the wisdom that Solomon had. But how sad is it? Me and you, how sad is it? We're children of God. We sing about it. Yet we won't spend five seconds, excuse me, I won't spend five seconds to approach an ever-present, ever-near God because Jesus Christ has made that immediate access for us. We won't even spend five seconds to ask God for the very same wisdom that He gave Solomon. And God commands it. James tells us, he says, let any of you that lack wisdom, what? Ask. And God will give it to you liberally. And He won't upbraid you. Now, that's not the authorized version. That's my rendition of it. Forgive me, I'm an authorized guy. And then Jesus Christ is commanding us to receive wisdom. He says, ask and it shall be given unto thee. You can ask for wisdom. Seek, you can seek for wisdom and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Wisdom applies unto that. And the reason we don't have wisdom, we don't have the discernment, we don't know God's mind and what He has for us in this world is strictly this. We have not because we ask not. Solomon asked for wisdom. Why would he ask for it? It baffled me. When I considered his age and the season of his life he's entering into, I thought, out of all things, why wisdom? I'll tell you the first reason I believe why. It's because of his dad. We've been studying the life of King David. Listen to one of the charges, one of the last charges that David gave his son Solomon in 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verse 12. David says this to Solomon. Perhaps you'd like to jot it down, 1 Chronicles 22, 12. Only the Lord give thee wisdom and understanding and give thee charge concerning Israel that thou mayest keep the law of God. David encouraged him to get wisdom. Or in 1 Chronicles 29, 19, he's speaking to God on behalf of his son and David says this, And give unto Solomon my son a perfect heart to keep thy commandments, thy testimonies, and thy statutes, and to do all these things, and to build the palace for which I have made provision. 
You see, not only did David tell Solomon that only wisdom comes from God, and that's where you must receive it, and you must approach it and access it, but he even went to God and said, and oh God, give my son Solomon a perfect heart, a complete heart, and a heart's not complete without God's wisdom. What a father. I'm grateful to have my grandfather here with me today. Can I tell you, he told me to get wisdom at a young age. I didn't listen when I was at this young age either. But he was persistent about it. And better yet, what made more of a difference is he went to God on my behalf and said, Oh God, give Isaac wisdom. And that makes the ultimate difference. If you don't think it makes a difference, look at my lovely wife. God's blessed me. His dad is one reason. Another reason we find in verse 7, it says, In that night did God appear unto Solomon. What night are we talking about? Well, scriptural answer, look at verse 6. And Solomon went up thither to the brazen altar before the Lord, which was at the tabernacle of the congregation, listen now, and offered a thousand burnt offerings upon it. The day of that Solomon asked for wisdom in the night from God, he had just spent offering up 1,000 burnt offerings to Jehovah. Another reason is his devotion. You won't just ask for wisdom on a whim. Solomon didn't pull a sheet out of his back pocket and pick a random word in the dictionary to ask God for. No, he was spending time with God. And let me tell you, friends, you will not want wisdom until you walk with the God of wisdom. And when you get alone in his word and you see how omnipotent, and how omniscient and how all caring he is, you'll understand God wants what's best for me. I better get in with the program and ask him what he wants me to do. God has designed his work. Remember, Solomon's the king of all of Israel, his people. God designed that work the same way he's designed the work he has for you so that you cannot do God's work without God's wisdom. And it's utter blasphemy and it's even sin to not use the wisdom God wants you to have when you're in his work. It was his dad. That was a reason. It was his devotion. But even yet, it was his duty. Look at the end of verse 7. He says, God to Solomon, ask what I shall give thee. Is that a suggestion? It's not. It was simply, you either ask for something or you disobey me. Ask or sin. We've talked about how God commands us to ask for wisdom. His duty was so great. Look at the end of verse 9. He says, you've made me king over a people like the dust of the earth, innumerable in multitude. He says, give me now wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in. Those are military terms before this people. For who can judge, political terms, this thy people that is so great? The task that God has assigned you is too great for you to do without his wisdom. That's why Solomon asked for it. God's wisdom, it's a great need. I talk often about how people like us use a lot of hyperbole. We just over-exaggerate and you say, my greatest fear or the number one thing. But look, I'm not exaggerating when I say this, child of God. Your greatest need is God's wisdom. And look, make that greatest need your greatest want, and God will change your life. God will change your life. That's a pretty great start, isn't it? Now, we got to turn the corner. We go to the last chapter in his life. And we'll go back to 1 Kings chapter 11. Would you find your place there? 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11, we'll begin reading in verse 1. We notice the great start. Now we'll turn ship all the way 90 degrees, even 180 degrees, and we'll see a bad ending. 
I talked to you about the Titanic, how great and prestigious and wonderful it was. And it set sail on April 10th of 1912. Can I tell you what happened four days after it set sail? Captain Smith was traveling at 22 knots through the mirage of the Atlantic Ocean. It was foggy and murky, but in his pride, he was traveling nearly 25 miles per hour on that ship. The lookout watchman was up in his tower. He didn't have access to the binoculars, but he didn't think it would matter anyway. Yet through the haze, he discovers something on a whim almost. That's a structure that's nearly 100 feet tall, 300 feet deep. It's an iceberg. He notices it too little too late. He announces it down to the radio operator, who, by the way, was already informed of the icebergs in that treacherous water, but he didn't think it was that urgent. He ignored the calls, history tells us. And 37 seconds after the message got to the skipper, Titanic struck that iceberg. A 300-foot gash goes across the hole. A ship so great, Captain Edward Smith even said, God himself cannot sink this ship. So why did it sink? I'll tell you why it sunk. It's the same reason that Solomon sunk in his life. The Titanic was thought to be, just like Solomon thought himself to be, invincible. Newsflash, no Christian is invincible. No Christian is exempt. No Christian is immune. No Christian is excluded from temptation. I've gone and looked at my hometown and I've watched my heart break as men of God who led me have fallen prey to things I would have never predicted them to fall prey to. No Christian, no matter how great or how small, whether the Apostle Paul or a little man like Barnabas, no Christian's exempt from falling just like the Titanic wasn't exempt. Solomon wasn't invincible. And he found out this way. Did he have an iceberg? Why, yes. Look at verse 1, chapter 11 of 1 Kings. But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughters of Pharaoh, that was his first one, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, Hittites, Termites, you name it, he was with them, right? It started with one little thing, and it grew, and it grew, and it grew. What was Solomon's iceberg, if you will? Can we metaphorically speak about it? What was his iceberg? But King Solomon loved what? Many strange women. Now, when you read that word strange, it's not how we use it. Some of you might think me to be strange. I'm a stoic at heart. I don't really show a lot of emotions. When it comes to a handful of things, I will. I have a terrible resting face. My wife reminds me often of it. That's why God gave her to me. I'm strange in 2022, but back in this day, I wouldn't have been considered strange. When God uses this word strange, perhaps you'd like to write it down, it meant foreign. It meant alien. Literally, something that did not belong. Can I tell you what Solomon's iceberg was literally? He loved strange women. That's pretty obvious. But in theory, deeper than that, what was the principle behind it? Solomon wanted what God never intended for his life. He wanted those strange things. Can I translate it this way? Have you, have you ever mixed or tried to mix oil and water? You can't. They'll just sit on top of each other like that. That's the same way that God's ways are with the ways of this world. And Solomon tried to merge the two. He thought he's so invincible, so high and mighty that he could do it and get away with it. But he learned quickly that's not the case. His iceberg, he wanted what God never intended for his life. And may I say, 
You cannot have this world and the Lord of it. I'd rather have Jesus. You must choose. It is a choice. Jesus Christ said, you're either with me or against me. We talk about straddling the fence all the time when the truth is you're either far over here or far over there in God's eyes. Solomon's iceberg was he wanted something that God didn't intend for him. Now, what's your iceberg? Is it praise? Is it laud? Is it fame? Is it fortune? Is it some other person? I couldn't guess it. The Holy Spirit could put his finger on it if he wanted to. But the truth is, it doesn't have to be something bad that becomes an iceberg in our life. You see, an iceberg in our life can be a good thing when it takes God's place. It happened with me as a young man. Sports were my iceberg. The fame and fortune, it didn't matter as much to me. I just wanted the accolades. I wanted to attain something. But it became an iceberg in my life because good things become bad things when you treat them as the best thing. And King Solomon's iceberg was he wanted what God never intended for his life. Stop trying to mix the oil of God's word and his way and with the water of this world. That's not what God intended for your life when he saved you. That was Solomon's iceberg. But why did he hit it? Honestly, why? Well, let's keep reading. Look at verse 2. Of the nations, this is God giving a warning here. Listen, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Solomon being one of them, ye shall not go into them. That's pretty straightforward. Neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will, circle this word now, turn away your heart after their gods. And Solomon clave unto these in love. You want to see that word again? Look at verse 4. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives, what's the word? Turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not perfect. It wasn't wholly devoted and complete with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. Look at verse 9. You'll see the word of good. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel. Can I tell you when Solomon's life changed courses? He was headed right toward the throne, eyes focused on Jesus, choosing Jesus, operating in his wisdom. This very same man who, when he was reigning, God blessed him so much that silver was as stones on the street. Imagine that. When I go out here and I have the privilege some days, now Bob Stone's blessed me, I don't have to do it as much, blowing off the property, and all these random things pop up on the driveway, I'm thinking, how did this get here? Can you imagine if silver was just all over the place? That's how prominent silver was in the day of Solomon under his reign. The very same man who had armies. He built himself a mansion. He had gardens. He was gifted in speech. He had everything the world could want. He sank because he stopped listening to God. He stopped seeking after that wisdom. He stopped loving God and replaced that love with love for the world. You can't love both. You can't be with God and with the world. We understand that. He turned. His life changed courses. Verse 2, God gives such a warning. He says, You shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you. Here's why. For they surely will turn away your heart after their gods. And then Solomon just fulfills the prophecy. God's commandments are not grievous. He tells him these things for his betterment. He's looking out for him. He wanted what Solomon would want for himself if he knew any better. If he didn't have that sinful, unredeemed flesh he's carrying around with him everywhere. He hit that iceberg because he stopped listening to God. 
Because he stopped loving God first. When you keep God as the one on the list that you're pursuing after, that you're honed in on and focused on, you won't turn away to these strange things of this world that don't belong to us. God said to Solomon, you don't belong with those people, not because I don't love them, but because they don't belong to me. The same principle is true today. That's why he hit that iceberg. Verse 4, For it came to pass when Solomon was old. He's not late teens, early 20s now. No, he's late 50s, early 60s. That his wives turned away his heart after other gods. You want to watch Solomon sink? Watch him. His wives turned away his heart after other gods. That's toleration. And that's where it begins. You, you hang out with the world. You begin to tolerate the things of the world, the sins of this world. Read on. His wives turned away his hearts after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. Verse 5, now look, next step. For Solomon himself, on his own, out of his own volition, went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Zidonians. That's participation. You first tolerate the sins of this world, then you begin to participate in those same things you tolerated. Read on, next step. And, there's your conjunction, after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. That's multiplication. It didn't just start and end with one little thing. It grew and it grew and it grew. Then you read on to verse 7. And then did Solomon build a high place, a worship center, if you will, for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab. Look where he built it, in the hill that is before Jerusalem. You know what that step is? That's called demonstration. In the hill that is before Jerusalem. Imagine this. You're in the heart of Jerusalem. Up on the holy mount you see the temple. The golden temple that Solomon built for Jehovah. Then you go this way to the other side. Still visible. Still, still able to be seen from that temple in the heart of the city. On the Mount of Olives. And you see this worship center being constructed. Another temple if you will. Not for Jehovah God, the one that redeemed Israel out of Egypt. No, no. For these other little G gods. And you could look on and see the very same temple. And you know what the common thread between these two places was? The same man constructed them. And that's the battle we all face. You see, we have this unredeemed flesh battling with the spirit which God has brought to life. And they're always at odds against each other. And if it weren't for Solomon, this one wouldn't have been built. But if it weren't for Solomon, that one wouldn't have been built. You see, this is the principle. Habitual sin, perhaps you've just started in some sin you ought to give up. If you continue in it, habitual sin grows bigger and bolder. It'll get bigger. It won't just stay small. It'll get bigger. Well, I'll do something more. I'll get away with it. And then it'll get bolder. It'll begin like Solomon's other temple over here to flaunt itself against God's people. That's heartbreaking to me. That's why he struck it. He stopped listening to God. He stopped loving God, pursuing after God, and then he got caught in this cycle, by the way, that just repeats itself. You'll tolerate sin. You'll participate in it. It'll multiply in your life, and then you'll demonstrate it to the whole world, not caring what anyone will think. Now look, perhaps you're here and you say, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the iceberg that I've struck it's so great, it's, it's worse than the Titanic's iceberg. It's so great, it's worse than Solomon's iceberg. I have good news for you. There's a greater than Solomon. There's Jesus Christ, and His mercy extends to even you. He's ready with arms open wide to forgive. As a matter of fact, His ears inclined unto those with a heart after Him. Not because He's hard of hearing, but sometimes we're hard of just calling out to Him. He's ready to forgive. 
Do you hear God's voice? Our watchman, our Holy Spirit, standing guard, if you're a child of God, at the entry gates of your heart, calling out sins that are coming your way. Iceberg dead ahead. Oh, turn left, turn left. Or is your heart callous tonight? You've ignored Him so much that you can't even recognize His voice. You can't recognize that conviction anymore. Come to Jesus. He's still ready to forgive you. So how do you know He's ready to forgive? You don't know what I've done. You don't know who I am. You're just some country preacher from West Virginia with a beautiful wife and a mama who can sing. That's me, right? Let me tell you how. I was sinking deep in sin. I struck an iceberg. I was far from that peaceful shore, very deeply stained within with that sin, seeking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry from the waters. He lifted me. Now safe am I. Love lifted me. Love lifted me. When nothing else could help, no one else could help, love lifted me. And I'm telling you, friends, He doesn't just lift you at the moment of salvation to get you out of that despond and despair. No, He just keeps on lifting you. You fall down into that muck and mire, that sea of infamy that you find the Titanic in, that sea of infamy that you'll find Solomon. Christ's hand's right here, and His hand is not short or slackened. He's calling out, won't you grab hold? Won't you grab hold? It's simple. Maybe you're beginning a new season of life. You want to have a great start? can't have a great start without seeking after a great God. You can't. Get wisdom. It's your greatest need. Make it your greatest want. Or maybe there's an iceberg in your life. Maybe there's one coming. You need to guard your heart. Reach out to the Master's hand. Let Him pull you out of that muck and mire. Guard your heart and get wisdom. That's Solomon, the Titanic of Scripture. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.